Good afternoon and good evening. This is Sayed Azadi and it's my absolute pleasure to be here with Eric Stoddard and we're actually at the University of Warwick where we are at the BIAPT conference where we met a year or so ago and in today's conversations in practical theology we're going to be looking at um, space and we're going to be looking at physical presence and you'll see that we're actually together sharing the same space. So we did a presentation yesterday to the BIAP conference regarding um, the conversations that we've been having. And it was a very interesting experience because it was different to the sessions that we've been doing online. And then we were discussing things such as the presence of God and our presence and the presence of an audience and how that impacted our discussions and so we thought we would bring that to you. Yes, uh, it was really fascinating yesterday doing it in a different way because uh, okay we had the horseshoe audience but I think I was very much more conscious of attending to you because you were right there in front of me and, and sort of almost blocking out the audience because this was a conversation that we were doing yesterday between two people without any screen in yeah. between us and I think that makes a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. And it was just when you share a physical presence, you share something that I think is missing through mm -hmm. online. And so regardless of whether you call it aura or spirit or sense mm -hmm. but there is something special about that and I think it makes it makes the connection much greater and you're, and you're right the, the, it was very interesting the audience because when the introduction was done we were facing the audience and it was a physical shift mm -hmm. to actually be having this conversation one to one but knowing that there were observers and it, in my head I just had to keep coming back to the fact that I'm here speaking to mm -hmm. you. Yeah, and I, th I think one of the differences for me is that when we do this online, we are actually building on what was first of all a face-to-face -face encounter. Absolutely. It would be a totally different if you and I had met online and then decided to do those conversations because we started off with face-to-face -face encounter at that conference last year. Yeah, I mean it's interesting because you, you raise some interesting kind of um, dilemmas for me because the majority of my work is online mm -hmm. and so do I form deeper relationships with people who I've had an initial actual physical contact with in terms of sharing space? Yes, but I do think that it is possible to build a strong connection and relationship with somebody that you've never met, and I wouldn't. I, and I'm really surprised that I'm saying this, but I would say that I have very good friends all over the world who I've never had the joy of sharing a space with. But I would count them amongst the people that if I had an issue or if I really needed some good, solid advice for somebody that trusted me and supported me implicitly. I would count them amongst that group. Mm -hmm. now, can I just pick up something that you said? It was maybe just a slip of the tongue, but you said a relationship that I have online with people I've never met. Yeah. Now that's an, 
So it's, to use it's, met in that context. It's yeah. interesting, isn't it? Because I think when we use the word meet or met, it's, it's the kind of societal use of that word. Mm-hmm. So it's, I've never physically met them, but actually I've probably connected with them mm-hmm. on a much greater level um, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually mm-hmm. in some cases than I have with people that I see on a day-to-day basis, which is really strange. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if it's something about the attention, that if we're doing something online, we're fully attending because you, you, we're there in front of each other on a screen. And I, I do a lot of supervision of students and it's, it's done online. And I find it much easier to see them if we've got a 45-minute supervision session than if I'm on the phone to them. I find that much more tiring. And there's something about seeing and getting more cues than just the audio cues. Yeah. I I mean, I I think the the kind of revolution that we've had with the internet and with technologies such as Skype and Zoom and other ones has has actually made life a little bit easier because those... um, those cues that you can pick up from seeing somebody's eye twitching or mm-hmm. their face changing are really, really important. And I, I do actually, it's really interesting because one of my um, my own coaches uh, is also a coach trainer and he said that sometimes when he does group coaching, he deliberately does it as audio at the beginning and then turns the video on because he doesn't want to be distracted by all the faces within the group mm-hmm. and he doesn't want his face to distract the audience because they're focusing on his expressions. Mm-hmm. He wants them to focus on the word and the message that's being given. That, I'm not sure I like that idea because um, the words to me can't really be separated from the eyebrows from the eyes and once you just have audio so is it for me I, I I kind of grappled a little bit with that at the beginning as well and I think it all depends on the context of the conversation right. okay. so for example this is a conversation where we're both learning mm-hmm. and it's important for us to know the expressions and the way that the the sentence is landing mm-hmm because that then helps to kind of form the direction that we go in. With coaching processes, there is actually a framework and a process to go through. So in that context, and because there is a group, I think it it, it probably works. And it would be interesting if we did one of these conversations with a group of 15, 20 Mm -hmm. people, how would we then feel about having the video on or off yeah, and I think you're absolutely right that context is the thing. And what is it that we're trying to achieve yeah. in that particular being present to each other? Because I think you're right that if there's some sort of presentation, that's a different thing. You want to get rid of the distractions. But being present to each other, I think, creates a different... It needs a different dynamic. Yeah, absolutely. And and just coming back to something you said about finding the video much easier than the audio, I also find sometimes the video is much more easier than physically meeting. Mm-hmm. Because so for me, and you know, it must be the same too. For me, going across London 
can t- if you have a one hour journey you're lucky mm-hmm. so by the time I get to somewhere to meet somebody I'm just going to pause whilst the little thing passes but for me to meet somebody and um, physically takes a lot of effort and sometimes the effort can be physically draining so that when mm-hmm. I'm with that person I may not actually be 100% present even though I am present okay but when I open up the laptop to meet with you or to meet with somebody mm-hmm. I go downstairs I grab my water maybe make a drink come upstairs open the laptop up and for me the entrance into that meeting is putting my headphones in and then I'm 100% there. So that energy that you lose in the travelling to a meeting is energy that you have then not used up, but you can invest into the the conversation. Yeah. And I wonder, we began to talk yesterday a little bit about where we thought God is in this, because as practical theologians, we're all hopefully always asking that sort of question. And I, I find it often helpful to think about, there's, there's the Jewish philosopher Martin Buber talks about I and thou relationships. And if, if I'm right in understanding him, it's, he helps us to see when we're being real to each other and not treating each other as objects but as people, God is there maybe in between us. That's where the relationship is happening. We have to think sort of in spatial terms, but that's enough maybe for the moment to to think that God is there in between. I don't know what you make of that. It's funny, because in my head, God has been part of this whole conversation, and the um, trolley going past was an intervention from God, mm-hmm. and I felt as if I've now given, been given a second to formulate my thoughts. Okay. So I see God as kind of all, everywhere within our conversation, and kind of, I, if I'm going to locate God, I would say the location is kind of above both of us. Uh-huh. Um, I know it's really tricky to talk about locating God somewhere. Yeah. Theologically, that's probably not a very good thing for either of us to be no. doing because we believe God is everywhere. Yeah. And but I do think God is everywhere. God brought us together. God, yeah. God has helped us to have these conversations. Um, I mean, we've been very deliberate in not scripting or preparing for these conversations. So for me, it's like, God, I, I am here trusting in the process and trusting that God will give me what I need in order for me not to mess up and not to make a mistake and for me to learn and grow and become closer to God through this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, for, for me, it's... It's maybe more about if believing that God is in what we're doing, when I make a mistake, God is still in it. Absolutely. And, and that, for me, is God makes, something, <clears throat> God makes something out of our fumbling attempts at whatever it is we're trying to do, that there is a power bigger than us that somehow or other, and I don't, even begin to see how that happens somehow can make something good sometimes it seems because as soon as I get into talking about that I get into thinking about people's tragedies 
and how it doesn't seem that God does make something good out of a lot of things. You see, it's interesting, because I would say that, um, for me, and I can only talk about me personally, so other people will probably say that I've had experienced a lot of trauma in my life, right? And then it comes to all how you define trauma. So something that's easy to share is I had a massive car accident about 20 years ago, ended up in a wheelchair, went through some very, very interesting rehabilitation, and I'm now here. At the time, did I experience, sorry, appreciate the experience that God was trying to give me? Mm-hmm. Yes and no. I mean, I, I really was very angry. I didn't want to go through it, etc. But now looking back, am I happy for the gift that God gave me through that? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because it's helped to formulate me as a person and it's also helped to, um, for me to have maybe empathy, connection, to be able to understand mm-hmm. uh, just a tiny little touch of people who've experienced far greater trauma than I have. Mm-hmm. You know, so there is a massive gift within that and I think God created that situation Mm -hmm. custom built for me okay I've I've wrestled with just how much God is involved in our lives and I used to have a perspective where I sort of had to understand when something like you know if an accident would would have happened to me or something had gone wrong that, that somehow God was involved and maybe the, the, the why question would be forefront and for a long time I, tr- I thought right I've got this so God is going to do something good out of all of this and then I got to say well actually I can't sustain that belief so I just parked it but then I came back a couple of years ago to, to, to thinking and, and reading about some of this and instead of the why question it's the how question. Mm. So when something horrible happens to us, it can be how do we learn how to suffer? How do we learn how to support each other in the suffering? And how do we build communities, for me, of Christian faith that help us to lament when something horrible happens? They help us to be angry to express that to God and to be communities that aren't obsessed with why but how and how do we support each other and for me that that made a huge amount of difference about where is God how is God present in things because mm. it's in where do we turn and how do we turn to others when tragedy happens mm. yeah I mean it's interesting because you're making me think of the question I'm always asking myself is what is God trying to teach me so and and then maybe there is also an element of what is God trying to save me from Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and if I miss a train what is God saving me from you know if um, I remember once we got burgled and the tragedy in that for me was not only did they take my laptop, they also took my backup and my backup's backup, which meant I lost six months of work. And my, um, I mean, I was livid. I was, ra- I was like 
take my money, just give me my laptop back. Keep the laptop, give me my work. You know, that's mm-hmm. the situation I was in. And then I kind of, you know, you go through your thought process and you go from emotion to emotion. And in the end, I just thought, this is God saying, my work is not good enough. And I need to go back and I need to reassess and I need to start again. Mm-hmm. And I think when I did do that work again, clearly it took me a lot less time because I'd done some of that work already inside my mm-hmm. head, but also it was significantly better. And I wonder if sometimes through things like this, and mm-hmm. it's a, this is an easy example for me to say this about, but we set our standards at a certain level and God is reminding us either of how lucky we are or um, how we need to try and just shift our standards up a little bit and all of this comes back to growth so you use the word suffering I would, for me personally I would use the word growth because but in some ways they're both sides of the same coin right? Not always for everybody. No, exactly. And that's... And that's the key. Yes. Because I think that there are times when I have suffered greatly, and my car accident is a huge example of that, Mm -hmm. because I would never wish that experience upon anybody else, but I've now been able to take that, intellectualise it, deal with it Mm -hmm. physically and emotionally and all of those other things, and I'm out of the other side. Do I want someone else to have to go through that? Never. So I did suffer, but the other side of my suffering was growth. Now the challenge that we have here is that I think that God is present in everybody's incidents and experiences. Mm -hmm. I've chosen to engage with that. What about the people who aren't and don't have a language to look at the challenging situations that they're facing in their life? And actually, what about the people who can do nothing about the challenging situations that they Mm -hmm. have in their life? And how do they then experience God? Yeah, because I'm in awe of people who go through great tragedy and are able to make that growth. And I have so much respect for those who get stuck and for whom it's not growth. Yeah because there but for the grace of God go I and I don't know why for some person it becomes growth for someone else it becomes decay yeah and isn't it interesting that literally that phrase there by the grace of God go I I mean I I look at um, homeless people Mm -hmm. and there's there's a lot of research that says that most people within the UK, or I'm saying most, a number of people within the UK are two steps away from becoming homeless. Mm -hmm. And those steps could be something like divorce, that could be um, being kicked out of your accommodation. It's it's not complex. So why is God choosing some people not to be homeless? And choosing some people to be, and that conversation, that that discussion is way beyond my pay grade. <laughs> but it's a very interesting one to look at because, it, you know, as a Muslim, I think God is creating our 
situations you know mm-hmm. every, you know and the, and everything is written and then the book the pen has been lifted okay so even this conversation was written somewhere or God had already planned it before we even knew mm-hmm. right. but how I can't I, I I really haven't got the language or the ability yet to be able to work out mm-hmm. how events happen how why does tragedy happen why are there complex uh, political situations I'm not sure yet mm-hmm. but I still have a huge amount of learning to do so yeah <laughs> I think I'm, I'm going to steal that phrase for a theological answer to something that's beyond my pay grade mm. I really like that because I think that that's where I was at in trying to wrestle theologically with some of these issues and just as I, I used the term parking it yeah, absolutely. because I couldn't get anywhere and the position I have now about focusing on how we support and find support and create communities that enable us to lament and be angry and to care and love I know that's not the philosophical solution but it's at least something that I can do and think about while those bigger things are part and they'll probably be part forever because that's the challenge of how do we create communities of faith that enable people to suffer well and grow well. Absolutely. And what you've said, I would take that and apply that to our conversations as well Mm -hmm. because we're at an event where everyone's talking about doing practical theology. And last year when we met, we had a kind of tentative conversation about how we could continue our conversation Mm -hmm. and we've turned it into doing practical theology and taking the kind of academy and the complex and everything and just saying that's still going to exist but it can exist over here Mm -hmm. let's just get on with it Mm -hmm. and I think that's what you're describing to me in that we don't need to necessarily understand all of the answers Mm -hmm. that's our ego if we want to understand it all but we can just get on with it and we can support Mm -hmm. and we can help and we can create an environment of care and love so that when somebody is going through their suffering there's just someone sitting next to them and saying I'm here with you mm-hmm. yeah and in, in my Christian tradition we'll sometimes use the, the term God with skin on and by that we mean incarnation but we mean someone who gives someone else a hug when they're in need when that's appropriate and human touch and practical help and that phrase God with skin on captures for me something about this God being present in how we physically care for others it's not a metaphysical sort of argument and isn't that interesting because it comes back to the the bit that we discussed about um, the difference between online and physical Mm -hmm. because when we are conversing online our souls are there but they're not able to touch Mm -hmm. let's say but here our full being is here mind body and soul Mm -hmm. and we're able to connect in a slightly different level Mm -hmm. i think you're right there is something about the face to face and i don't like quoting philosophers too much because (laughs) <laughs> they're beyond my pay grade but there's, there's, there's Levinas who talks about the importance of the human face 
and that's where he has the origins of his whole ethics. It's about when we see another's face, that face demands our ethical response, it demands us to be human, and that face is absolutely crucial to who we find ourselves to be, who we find the other to be, but the face. So you're raising some really interesting conversations for another discussion, all about the face veil and the niqab and covering, because I'm hearing you, and um, so you notice I don't have my glasses on, Mm -hmm. and the part of the reason why I don't have my glasses on when I want to really engage with somebody is because I... I discovered that I sometimes hide behind my glasses and so the connection for me is eye to eye Mm -hmm. I mean I can see the expressions etc I can see enough (laughs) (laughs) but what then happens you know is it face to face is it eye to eye Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I think that's just it would be too big a discussion to have now yes but yeah I think we should continue that conversation. Yeah, that's one that we'll, we'll, we'll log that way and, and we'll come back to it. And it, it, it's maybe about going back to that thing we did yesterday with the, the conversation in front of the group. There's an audience that we're addressing and speaking to out there, but they're way beyond and we don't see them, and there's no reaction from them, okay, we'll have to see if there's any comments from folks. But the audience there, we could hear them, we could probably smell them, sense them, sense them um, and all that was going on, just out of our peripheral vision. And that is a different, really different type of audience. And there's a connection there between us, even if we're not attending to that audience, there was a, some sort of connection. It co- maybe comes back to me about the physicality of being human mm. and being present to each other. And, and, and you're absolutely right. And I think we, we, when we were speaking about it afterwards, because um, I, I, after that I came down and I sat next to you and I said, I feel like we need to do a post-mortem. And just, just there didn't seem to be that conclusion. And when we do our sessions uh, on the, over Zoom, mm-hmm. there's always a couple of minutes at the end where we can conclude the conversation, we've completed the recording, mm-hmm. we'll discuss the next meeting, and then that's yes. it. But there we didn't have that. And I think in some ways, also having the physical presence of that audience, it, it kind of put a different pressure on. Mm-hmm. Here we are just two people having a conversation which we then share with a wider audience and we mm-hmm. don't know them which is a different kind of a conversation because it feels more private and it's being shared mm-hmm. yesterday's this conversation it didn't feel I mean it was a it was a private conversation being held in public and that has a different dynamic yes yes, yes. I think there's a it was reminding me of some of the exercises used to do when we were learning and teaching listening skills. And there was a goldfish bowl sort of exercise and you would do the interaction and people were watching then to criticise and positively to criticise. But thankfully they weren't doing that. 
Um, but it is different if you're... It, it's the audience. Mm. And we're performing. We're performing now. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with performance. It's how we interact. Mm. But we shift our, we're able to shift our performance depending on where the audience is yeah. and who the audience are. And it just makes me more and more aware of how complex but how skilled people are so, at navigating. Yeah. So with the way that technology is going now, have humans all become performers because we share so much online? Well, I, I we've always been performers because we're always managing how we perform with people. But there is something about we've got the possibility of an audience. You know, there may only be ever 20 people that watch this. There's a potential audience of billions. Now, that shifts how we perform. Because the audience is different. Does it or doesn't it? Because the thing is, it, you see, are, are we of the generation where there is that shift? But for younger people who've always grown up with technology, uh-huh. it's, it's just it's how they've been raised. Yeah, and I can't get into their headspace. Because no. yeah. I remember before there was this type of technology. Yeah. And so I have no idea what it's like never to have had this. And that we would need that just needs some young people to talk to us huge about Huge amount that. of unpacking. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. Yeah. Where do you think that brings us to with this particular conversation about presence and God's presence? So um, someone asked a question about hosting yesterday mm-hmm. and I think that was quite... Um, a, a kind of good intervention in some ways because what, what I mean I felt that when I, when I open up my laptop I feel as if I'm hosting you in my home mm-hmm. and uh, I think if, if we were to actually meet physically then we would probably travel to a location where there is less connection mm-hmm. so would that make the dynamic of our conversations different mm-hmm. because even here there's been interruption Mm-hmm. And I can only apologise to the audience for that, but it's out of our control. <laughs> but there is that interruption, and that then has an impact on my presence with you. Mm-hmm. So, where is God in all of this? Who is hosting this? Who has engineered this situation? It can't be us. I think it is God, even though we may mm-hmm. feel as if we're hosting each other as well. Yeah, and I th- when the person said maybe it's God who's hosting so that we don't get into the idea of somebody's the host, somebody's the guest that with that whether it's a metaphor however one to understand it if God is hosting us then we're guests we're two guests in the presence of God God. Yeah, and I think that kind of um, it's been very important for me that we are um, kind of that I see you as an equal player and that I'm not intimidated by you because I've discovered some things about you yesterday which I did find very intimidating and I was reflecting upon myself afterwards mm-hmm. and I thought actually when do I do that to other people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I know that sometimes individuals will discover something about the work that I've done or the qualifications that I have and this is probably why I don't have a card mm-hmm. because if I had a card and I put all my qualifications on it and I gave it to somebody, they probably would feel intimidated. Mm-hmm. So this discussion about hosting is making me think, well, 
when 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 I acknowledge that God is hosting us, I think we are on that level playing field, mm -hmm. which also means that because we're doing it in our homes, we're responsible for getting our own drinks and for making our environment comfortable mm -hmm. for us. Mm -hmm. I don't have to think, oh my God, have I put enough sugar in the tea? Is the milk right? I don't have to worry about any of that. So when we come, we come in some ways more present yeah. because we are being hosted by God. Mm -hmm. Yes, and in the language of the internet and hosting on media platforms, it, it's a word that is used now in so many different ways. And maybe for a future conversation as well, to yeah. think more about hos hospitality, hosting in a digital environment. But I can sense breakfast is coming. Yes, yes. <laughs> and folks are beginning to gather. So thank you to the audience. Thank you for watching. Uh, there'll be another of these podcasts. Please uh, add some comments and we'd be delighted to hear from you. Uh, but from Zeta and from Eric, goodbye. Goodbye, thank you.